Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast created to enlighten, inspire, and inform those who work in or depend on the world's most important endeavor, agriculture. Here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Business of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Damian Mason, but you knew that because you heard that in the introduction. You know what's great about the Business of Agriculture is that we used to just be audio only, and a few months ago we said, why aren't we putting these on video so you can see attractive people like my guest, today's guest. He's a California guy. I mean, we like pulled him out of his surf boy background and join us here on the Business of Agriculture. Uh, you can find these videos at Damian Mason's, uh, that's mine, at, uh, YouTube channel, D Mason Comedy, or just go on play, uh, YouTube and type in Damian Mason. It's right there. There's a playlist for the business of agriculture. There's also a playlist for my other podcast, Do Business Better. This podcast, as all of them here in the last two months, have been brought to you by my good friend, uh, Nick Horeb with Harvest Profit. Uh, HarvestProfit.com is where you can go and check it out. It's business software for your agricultural enterprise. So you want to be more profitable. You know, you got a lot of numbers. You've got inputs and outputs. and Oh, my God, millions of dollars of capital floating around out there. What are you doing to keep track of it? I mean, this is a little bigger than just having some notes on your phone, right? So check out HarvestProfit.com. Uh, They'll give you a 14-day free trial. Nick Horb's a good dude. He's been on this podcast, and he also now is the sponsor. So help make your business more profitable, make your agricultural enterprise uh, better by getting the right software. So today we've got Andrew Moore, and he is the CEO of the National Agricultural Aviation Association. And I've never in 140 episodes had anybody in here from ag aviation, but it's pretty big. If you're in the business of food production, you probably know that, but most people don't even think about it. A lot of the acres that feed us actually are treated with somebody in the air. And those are the members of his association. It's a fascinating industry. I've worked around it and within it uh, as a speaker. I have never actually had anybody on here. So that's why he's here. Andrew Moore, welcome to the Business of Agriculture. Thank you for having me, Damon. Good to be here. All right, so listen to this. So this is how it came about. Uh, you you saw my stuff and then you read my book and then I said, hey, actually you'd be a great guest because uh, I see these airplanes out here flying around and I've done work with these uh, associations of people that treat the, the crops from the air, but a lot of people don't know much about it. So, all right, the background on you, you weren't always an agricultural aviation guy. You were a farm kind of guy and you went to USC. So give us that backstory. Sure. Well, my family comes from the Central Valley of California. So I was born and raised in Bakersfield. And our farm is in Arvin, California. So I grew up, you know, similar to you, uh, working on the farm. I was driving a tractor at 11. Uh, my family grows uh, potatoes, almonds, pistachios, carrots, navel oranges, if I didn't say that already, uh, four generations. And then I went to the University of Southern California in 1984. And was a public administration major and kind of uh, had an internship in Washington, D.C. during my education and came down with Potomac fever. And after I graduated, I moved back there without a job, but I've been really working ag policy, whether it's for other associations. I worked for the United Fresh Fruit and Vegetable Association. Uh, I also worked on the Hill for a member of Congress from California, did her ag policy and transportation policy. And I've been with NAAA now, the National Agricultural Aviation Association, since 
1997, so 23 years. Been around a while. Okay, the National Agricultural Aviation Association. So uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you're like saying, okay, I think I get it. You're talking about crop dusters, right? Explain That's right. That's right. That's uh, kind of a term of old in the sense that not a lot of dusts are going out anymore. We like to call it uh, aerial application. Uh, well, it depends on where you are. Some people still wear the badge of crop duster with pride, but you know we're mostly doing liquids uh, when we're treating crops, but we also do dry materials, fertilized by air, seed by air, firefight, etc. So, Yeah, so uh, I have spoken to uh, several different state or regional associations and then um, uh, a couple of companies that do this. So what a lot of folks, you know, don't realize is, all right, I get it. If you're organic, if you're way out here organic, you're saying, oh, these people are just flying around spreading poison, but we're not just spreading poison. We're putting stuff pretty uh, articulately and, shall we say, intricately where it needs to be using a very efficient method to do so. So kind of give everybody the background because maybe there's somebody on here that like sells uh, cranberry juice and doesn't really fully get. Tell us what aerial application looks like. Well, just so you know, uh, Damon, we also... Uh, do organic work. A lot of our members will do organic work. Remember, organic is not uh, pesticide-free, as I read in a really good book recently. I don't know if you've read this called Food Fear. Wait a minute. But, He's tapping my book. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, and uh, you find out in Food Fear, you found out that about organic. Well, I, I found out a lot of things, but I already knew that, you know, organic was not pesticide-free. It's just I guess more of an organic pesticide compound as opposed to a synthetic one. Um, but nevertheless, our members do that work. Uh, they, they'll, they'll take the work where the farmer needs it. It doesn't matter if it's conventionally grown or if it's organically grown. Uh, but just to touch on uh, what you mentioned in terms of our scope, about 28% of the cropland in the United States about 127 million acres out of 350 plus, it is done by air. So, uh, and that doesn't include pasture land or range land or forest land. Uh, that's just cropland. We also do those other pieces as well. Um, the reason why aerial application is so important is, and I can go into a lot of the technologies as we go through this podcast, but it's speed. You know, you're you're going across a field in a turbine-powered engine, uh, turbine turboprop engine, at 120 miles per hour. And as you know, as a farmer, uh, when you have a pest infestation, what do you want to do? You want to treat it as quick as possible so it doesn't affect your yields. And aerial application is by far the fastest way to treat a crop. In addition, like if you have rains, remember last year, the significant amount of moisture that hit most of the country and we had a late spring and uh, a lot of land was not even treated because it was so wet, could never get a crop in. Um, you know, if a crop is wet, if the, if the ground is wet, you can treat by air uh, where you couldn't get a ground rig in or rolling hills. Uh, other difficult areas to reach as well. And you're treating above the crop and not in the crop. So you do see yield enhancements when you treat by air as well because you're not 
getting wheels through the through the rows and yeah, you're also driving over the stuff so yeah. the thing that uh, uh yeah we're talking about a, a, an immense amount i mean almost a third of the total acres that we use for food production on on crops uh, you guys are are touching in some way or another and it could be organic like you said there's a bunch of different mm -hmm. pesticides and, uh, mm -hmm. and you know products that are organically labeled that can work for that and it could be conventional doesn't matter um so the benefit that they have is they can cover a lot of area quickly right so like you said you right. got a need you got to get it out there like around here they do fungicide around where i am here in northeastern right. Indiana. uh i know that in the pacific northwest they do seeding where they like the, they'll hire somebody to go out and drop seed but you said that there's mm -hmm. beyond that they even do some fire protection from the air some of your members that's correct. And don't forget, we don't just do pesticides. We're doing, as you mentioned, seeds and fertilization as well. So uh, and it, they do seeding. Rice is primarily seeded by air, especially in California. Um, so and we do a lot of cover crop work, uh, which, you know, cover cropping. And you probably I would imagine in one of your or more of your podcasts, you've talked a lot about cover cropping. And cover cropping has an advantage when it's treated by air because you can treat pre-harvest, which allows you to actually get more time to grow, say a rye seed or a radish or whatever it is. So more time for that seed or that root to penetrate the soil, aerate the soil, and provide the, that, that additional nutrient value and moisture retention for the soil as well. So that's another, uh, uh, benefits uh, of aerial application. So yeah, we're, we're going to see more. One of my assertions is we're going to look, uh, Andrew, we're going to look back uh, at the way we till up our ground as much as we do, which tilling is hard on the soil structure, and then we leave it exposed to the elements for months at a time. I think we're going to look back at this someday the way we look now at how we used uh, leeches for medical care, um, which I mean, there's a real place for cover crops where we don't have it completely figured out yet but we're getting there and so i think your membership is going to be busier with cover crops probably than they certainly were five years ago and it'll continue to be that way i agree and as we go towards more sustainability uh trying to use you know less pesticide product whether it's organic or non-organic or synthetic you know uh, fewer nutrients so because of runoff concerns into certain sensitive and uh well, treasured watersheds, uh, you know, you're going to you're going to see more cover cropping going. Forward. I think that there might even be and we'd be smart to get ahead of it, you know, from the carbon capture standpoint. Uh, now, right now, we're not yeah. concerned about that because coronavirus came in and and the media had something new and the politicians had something new to carry on about. So we haven't heard about global climate change in the last few months. But when that becomes the story du jour again, um, if we had those acres, with something growing on them, we capture that much more carbon, which is good for the earth and the air we breathe, et cetera. So I almost wonder if I see a legislative issue where we are forced to use cover crops someday for those kinds of reasons, which again, bodes well for your people. Uh, speaking of the environmental standpoint, is that your biggest argument? Is that your biggest, is that your biggest fight that you guys are flying around spewing stuff out of the air? Yeah, I mean, we have to educate um, legislators and we have to educate uh, the EPA regulators in both the state and federal level about the different technologies we use to maintain, um, to basically make targeted applications. 
And, you know, we're almost 100 years old as an industry. Uh, August 5th of uh, 2021, we will have the 100th anniversary of the first aerial application made. So just like any industry, just like farming, as you were mentioning, look at how the soil was treated in the 30s, right. late 20s, due to the Dust Bowl that you mentioned in, in Food Fear. Uh, look at where we've come since then. Mm-hmm. Um, we wouldn't exist as an industry if one, we didn't play a valuable role in food production, but two, if we didn't continually evolve, and we are evolving in terms of new nozzles that are equipped to mitigate drift, knowing what that exact droplet size needs to be when it comes out of the aircraft, not only that, but the angle of the nozzle and the pressure that's pushing that nozzle out and how wide the boom is in relation to the wingspan, all these components we've learned so much about over the years, which allow us to make a much more targeted application, uh, mitigating drift. And so, and we're continue to do that research. There's a whole USDA Agricultural Research Service uh, program devoted to aerial application research technology. And of course, we're even doing variable rate applications by air as well. So, uh, you know, you you layer that um, GIS, that geographical information system, that infrared map over the GPS, and you have flow control plumbing on the aircraft. And as you fly over a certain field that where you know nutrients are needed or more crop protection product is needed or less, the aircraft is able to make that application as needed by that crop at that time. So we are making a lot of headway in terms of technology. A lot of people, and I don't mean this as a bad word, <laughs> just that they're ignorant. You know, they haven't learned. They have, you, you've mentioned it in the book. Where have we gone in terms of, of the percentage of society that is, or in, in in agriculture, 2% now, 1%. Uh, where was it in the Great Depression? I don't know. What did you say? 10%? I can't remember. But yeah, it's a great number of it. And then and when you think about the uh, the people that get it, you know, it's really interesting that, it, and Andrew, it comes up all the time because people ask you questions. And I think, my God, you didn't know that. You, you know, and then it's like, it can't see Damien, do they really do this? I'm like, no, who told you this? What are you talking about? So, yeah. by the way, uh, Andrew Moore is the guy that you're talking to here on the Business of Agriculture podcast. He is the chief executive officer for the National Agricultural Aviation Association. The Business of Agriculture podcast is produced by me and brought to you by great people like my guests. And then it is sponsored by uh, Harvest Profit. And you can check out Harvest Profit, harvestprofit.com. Tell them Damian Mason sent you. Nick Horb is a good dude. He found this company because he said, I want to create something that agricultural enterprises can use to improve their operations financially fundamentally from the data so it's really all about software to help you stay profitable manage your inputs and your outputs look at your cash flow look at your inventories it's let's face it it's a business this is a business what we do for a living it is a business is it a lifestyle yes do we love it yes but you know what if you don't handle the money in the business they ain't no lifestyle so check out harvestprofit.com, 14-day free trial. And I guess I'd tell him I sent you. All right, Mr. Andrew Moore, uh, we think environmental stuff is going to be the biggest problem. When you are out there, if, if all of a sudden uh, Fox News calls you today or CNN, uh, although they're not going to because they, 
they, they've, they've uh, got uh, they got too many other things to do. And they say, hey, turns out this little girl over here in this subdivision got sick, and her mom says because some some stuff flew out of an airplane. You're going to say, I'm not sure that's possible. Boom, boom, boom. So you got the environmental thing, but you have something a really good story to tell that agricultural aerial applicators do. We actually do stuff for public health. Tell me about that. That is true. Uh, we do a lot of things. Our our primarily our members do treat crops, whether it's seed or fertilize or or protect them with crop protection products. But they also are diverse in the sense that they have uh, they do firefighting. So uh, and they do public health spraying. So uh, firefighting is done by an ag aircraft if it's converted to a firefighter, firefighting aircraft is known as a seat, a single engine air tanker. Um, and they're able to get into certain parts and a lot quicker to certain parts of a fire uh, because you know it doesn't take as much runway. So if you have some of these big tankers, they might have to travel quite a bit of distance to refuel because the runway might not be the right, too short for them. Single engine air tankers, ag aircraft, don't require that. Uh, and they can get into tighter spots too and lower to the ground typically. Uh, secondly, the other thing that we do, so we're protecting public property and, and really some of our nation's treasures is right, right? Just two weeks ago, uh, one of our members uh, was in the Everglades treating fires in the Everglades. So, yeah, so they fly out, they fly, are these the same, I mean, they're a little different, but they're essentially still, they, they're, they can't be huge, right? Because they're not nimble when they're huge. So it's still a small aircraft, right? Right. Like, for example, Air Tractor is one of our main, uh, is the largest ag aircraft manufacturer in the world. And there's another company called Thrush in Albany, Georgia, Air Tractors in, uh, in Texas. But Air Tractor makes a AT-802 and that can be used for both crop spraying but it's also used for uh, for firefighting all they do is basically they take off the you know the boom and you have an emergency dump system that just opens up and you know you can get rid of a load in seconds mm -hmm. and that's for emergency purposes if there's something going wrong where an aircraft may be going down when it's making an aerial a crop application sometimes you have to release the load but it's also used for firefighting and but then uh and then thrush has a 660 uh, six, and by the way, the 800, 802 stands for 800 gallons, so 660, 660 gallons for that aircraft. And then Air Tractor is in the process of trying to certify through the FAA what's known as the 1002, which will be a 1200 gallon uh, firefighting aircraft. Now, I would imagine that some people will be buying these for aerial application or for crop spraying as well. Sure. But the one, just real quick, that you did mention public health spraying. I didn't touch on that. Yeah. Uh, but so, you know, a couple years ago, we were dealing with uh, a disease that was transmitted by mosquitoes. Many diseases are transmitted by mosquitoes. Um, malaria, you touch a lot on malaria and, and, the, and the work of certain crop protection products of old that helped eradicate uh, malaria in the United States. Uh, well, our members do a lot of public health spraying for mosquito abatement. Just a couple of years ago, it, it was Zika virus, yep. uh, which is a form of a severely 
brutal form of encephalitis. Uh, but whether it's Zika, whether it's dengue fever, uh, other forms of encephalitis, uh, that aerial application helps eradicate mosquitoes that, that carry these, these deadly diseases and other pests as well. All right, so the person that's a member of your association, uh, the bulk of it still, their revenue comes from treating uh, food so we can eat it. Correct. Uh, some of them also do fire fighting and they also do some public health stuff, which is all good and fine. I always wonder, I'm out here in Indiana, I see this plane and I'm like, man, and then they go and I'm like, and then they got to fly over to the airport and pick up another load of stuff. I'm like, seems like a lot of work, a lot of man hours, a lot of airplane. I was thinking, how do they make any money? All right, now I know that you're not going to tell me like how the profit margin, but it's it's a it's a tougher deal, right? Oh yes, and again, this goes into you know food fear. Your book, uh, did I show the book? Have I done that yet? I appreciate I, I, it. I, I just wanted to make sure I showed the book. Hey I man, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send you a whole other box up if you're going to give me this. <laughs> Go ahead. Hey, you know, uh, I didn't get paid to say that. It's a great book, it really is. And just well, really well researched, um, logical, and uh, you know, facts unfortunately don't play as important of a role as they used to. But they play an important role to me because I like to think logically. And this is a, this is a great book. Um, Thank you for saying I, that. And you know what? Right. I did the plug, and I forgot my train of thought. We were we talking about the about money. Plane. About money, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, so, for instance, if yeah. I wanted to get my fields treated out here, let's say I've got a potato leaf hopper problem on these alfalfa fields. Uh, I don't want to knock over the alfalfa, and it's another two weeks till it needs yeah. uh, mowed. I mean, whatever. I'd probably just mow it and bale it. But anyway, let's just say it needed treatment. You're talking like the cost of the product and like seven bucks an acre to fly it on. You're like, I don't know if you can get. I don't know if I can get somebody to come and sit and look at my farm for $7 an acre. And here they're going to bring this expensive piece of aircraft, a trained pilot, fly from the airport back and forth and back and forth. It just seems like it's amazing what they get done for as little as they charge. Yeah, well, um, and where I was going was you were talking about how expensive it is to farm nowadays yep. and how much it costs for a tractor, let alone uh, then you got to get the combine and you've got your labor costs and you've got insurance costs and you know everything involved in farming today at, in a larger scale, um, even a smaller scale. Uh, the, the equipment costs are incredible. So this 802 Ag aircraft that I was talking about is probably gonna cost you, now bear in mind they're smaller aircraft, you have, but probably the average size uh, hopper where, where the products contained is about 500 gallons on an ag aircraft. And don't forget, we also do uh, work by helicopter as well. That's about 18% of the industry. Um, but you're talking about a new air tractor 802 fully equipped is gonna cost you probably between 1.5 to $2 million. Now, if you equip it for firefighting purposes, it's gonna cost even more than that. Um, so these are not, and then you've got to have your mixing loading systems. The average number of aircraft per business, and by the way, there's 1,560 aerial application businesses in the United States. That's a good um, number right there. So 1,560 yeah. of these people, yeah. 
And the average plane that they're talking about, you know, buying, if they buy one of those, you know, a million and a half bucks. Yeah. And there's about 2.1 aircraft per business. Um, of course, there's not a 0.1%, but you know what I'm saying on, on average. Yeah. Uh, so um, then you got to deal with your mixing loading equipment. You've got a crew of at least five to six total employees in the office and, and mixing loading, um, two pilots. Uh, so, and then you have a nurse truck usually that if you have to go to a satellite strip, you're going to bring the nurse truck. Or if you're a, a rotorcraft, a helicopter operator, they, they, they'll line them up right on the side of the field. They'll land on the nurse truck. They'll fill it up and fuel it right there. Uh, fuel's expensive. So there's a lot of input costs just to get started. And it's harder now for the younger younger aerial applicator, just like you mentioned in the book, that it's yeah, harder for agricultural for and just about anything. It's just the cost of capital, uh, I mean, the, the capital outlay that's required to get into these operations, whether it's farming or doing the aerial application. So yeah. a lot of these are family businesses. A lot of them are, yeah. It's very mom and pop, and it's, it's, they're small businesses. Very... They're, like I said, the average number of employees is about five to six per aerial application uh, business. We do have some larger operations. Um, you know, some of the uh, national retailers uh, have gotten involved in, in aerial application. Um, one of The one that I know is the largest single uh, aerial application aircraft owner is uh, about 40 aircraft. So, but but mostly small businesses, very yep. much so. So you know, uh, I, I talk about this. I just had a podcast about it. About tell your story, tell your story. My God, everybody in agriculture, uh, tell your story, tell your story. Cheap food, cheap food. Tell your story, tell your story. Feed the yeah, world. Yeah. Okay, yeah. we've all heard the same stuff. Uh, and I always inform my friends in agriculture, like. They only care about your story if your story impacts them. Otherwise, it's cute for a while. Okay, Kansas farm person, that's really neat what you do out there. Great, I'm going to go back to watching Netflix. When I talk about the National Agricultural Aerial Applicators, the people that do this aerial treatment that are your members, why does their story matter to the consumer? I'm going to say it's because you're making sure you have abundant food. I'm going to say it's because you're making sure we have the safest food supply. What else am I missing? Well, yeah, that is that is it. And, you know, it's it's abundance of food. It's, you know, basically, as you said, a third of everything they probably put in their mouth has been treated by air. But it's not just that. It's their clothes. What are you wearing? Is that cotton or is that resistant? This is that, this is that stuff that wicks. I'm going to go work on my farm here later on. So I got the yeah. wicking stuff. Well, you know, even cotton, I think they can manipulate cotton in a certain way to, to have certain wicking. Your sheets, when you woke up this morning, cotton? Yep. yep. Yeah. The towel that you dried off with, cotton? Yep. Okay. So fiber, uh, we treat a lot of fiber as well, uh, cotton. We do forest fire work. We also do forestry work. Mm -hmm. So, what what do you what what comes from timber? Perhaps uh, wood. Your desk yeah, that you're at. Yeah, your right. The two by fours that you use to make a wall. So here's the question: yeah. When you're doing that, besides fire prevention, is there anything else? Is it bug? Do you do bug treatment of the forest? I don't know. Oh yes, yeah. Gypsy moth protection, fertilization. Okay. Um, the whole yes, absolutely. And then, of course, we do rangeland and pastureland. What comes from rangeland and pastureland? Did you have milk in your cereal this morning? Yeah, the milk, the milk, and the meat that we need. So, uh, what kind of treatment on that? When you're doing is it, uh, just herbicide, I assume. Yes, and it's also 
you know, specific herbicide work, maybe some nutrient work as well, and maybe uh, seeding as well. Okay, last uh, thought. I know that some of these people are kind of crazy because I've done speeches for these aerial applicator groups. I mean, they're flying, they're flying right toward power lines, and then they just go over the top of them and all that. Are they really that crazy? No. Okay. Uh, they they are talented, <laughs> and and you know there is risk in our work. I mean, there's risk in farming too. You're around machinery all up. You know, I don't I don't know. You probably know this off the top of your head about what farming accidents are per year and what the what might the death rate be of someone killed in a farming accident. I don't know. Uh, that. It's uh, certainly it's not as great as it used to be because we've gotten a little safe, you know, we get a little safer each year and we get a little better equipment and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, agriculture in general is like the third riskiest or second riskiest uh, behind like mining or something. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So but, your, plane, your planes wreck once in a while. They do, and we have probably about six to seven fatalities a year in our industry. But when you look at how many accidents that is per 100,000 hours flown, we probably have about seven accidents per 100,000 hours flown. And just as I mentioned before, as we're looking at, as we've evolved technologically to make our applications safer, more efficacious, using less product to cover more acres. We've gone from an industry that probably had 13 accidents per 100,000 hours flown to six to seven. So uh, the, our numbers are getting better and better. And, our, and the purpose of our association, one of them, is to develop education and safety programs and work on developing new technologies to make these aerial applicators more safe and and better stewards as well and you know that's going to be our that's our constant mission we've been we've existed for 52 years and that's what we'll continue to do as as long as there's an industry which looks like there will yeah it looks like there looks like there will you know it's neat to talk about uh we're, we're never going to use uh, internal combustion engines and all that i don't know how the ag industry could uh, go with that but you know who's to say we don't have a, a solar powered plane someday that flies around and does it but we're still going to probably do that i mean we're using less chemistry on a per uh pound of food produced than we've ever used but there's still the need for you to do what you do right exactly because there's fertilization that also needs to be done. There's cover crops that need to be done. There's seeding that needs to be done. So, yeah, and of course, I know you've had this conversation, but the products that are being manufactured in the, in the queue for registration at EPA today are, you know, pretty amazing in terms of how specific they can be in not, in, in a maybe eradicating uh, a specific insect species or a specific weed, but also leaving beneficials alone. Um, so, and, and, you know, leaving pollinator, being safe for pollinators right. and so forth. So uh, I think there's always gonna be a need for crop protection products. And frankly, I might get in a little trouble saying this, but, um, you know, the benefit of, I guess, applying rather than having it perhaps in say seed form, is that I think that resistance comes much later, or you, you delay the resistance because you're treating only when it's needed, and you don't have that constant level of protection, which 
you know, after time, if you over, you over treat something, uh, or you, or you under treat a resistance can happen. But, you know, if you, if you maintain it steadily and only apply when it's needed, uh, then it delays the resistance, which always seems to occur with, with crop protection products. You eventually get that resistance. Like you're seeing with, with glyphosate. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. I mean, uh, right now we, we know we've got three weeds out here in my farm that uh, glyphosate only works if you combine it with something else. Hey, here's the biggie. I asked you about connecting the dots because I wondered if you were going to pick up on it. So I was, I was, I was throwing it out there. Uh, our consumers, and if you're listening to this, I always tell you, share some of this information with our non-ag consumers. Remember, we in agriculture have this problem where we talk to ourselves about ourselves. So share this with your friends that are non-ag people. Here's where we're really beneficial. We have 1,560 operators with airplanes that cost a couple million dollars each that can within and, and like in a, in a like respond like the Air Force if we have a problem and protect our food supply. Now, do we have surpluses right now? Yes. Do we have high, low prices because of that? Yes. Um, but way better to be, as a country, way fooded than to be underfooded, right? Um, and I made those words up. The locust. I put a, a video out two months ago, and I said, while well, you're all being told three months ago, I said, you're being told about this bug that's going to kill everybody, coronavirus, coronavirus, coronavirus. The media went crazy with it. I said, there's another bug that's going to kill about 20 million earthlings, and it's a locust, and it's happening in East Central Africa. They do not have a guy like Andrew Moore and the National Ag Aviation Association that can respond like a damn army, like an air force, and take care of this. They got like four airplanes between seven countries with no money, and they're going to try and take on swarms of locusts. Have you kept up with this at all, Mr. Moore? Well, you know, I have, and one of the things about our industry is we're migratory so we, we i actually know one of our operators who's in texas who is actually in sudan and and other parts of northern africa helping do aerial application there so uh, some of our guys do travel uh, mostly inter-country um, because you know i mean you're obviously planning to crop earlier in the south and in yeah. california and then so uh, the northern climbs, northern Midwest is a little later. So you'll have uh, some people come down from the northern Midwest to help some of the southern members uh, early in the season and then vice versa. You mentioned the fungicide run that'll happen on corn before long uh, there in Indiana and, and the I states, the corn states. You'll have southern operators come up there and help them. And they, it can happen uh, internationally as well to help treat these crops. Some of our guys Australia and so forth. Okay, yes. Well, and Australia is certainly as modern as us when it comes to their agricultural yeah. enterprise, but these poor countries where people are already borderline starving, now they're going to have their crops white whacked just like that by locusts. We won't have that happen here. Part of it's climatological. We're not going to probably have these locusts. The swarms are the size of Manhattan. I mean, you're not talking about like 50 bugs. You're talking about a cloud that comes over that is the size of a large city and you're there with nothing but a broom i mean we have the technology so do you see us ever having any issues like that i don't because of people like your your members uh well no not not as long as there is reasonable regulations on the book to allow for this yeah. and you know but you are seeing in other countries in the eu they have banned aerial application at least for pesticide purposes, or you know, 
spraying crop protection products. Now it's allowed, aerial applications allowed for um, uh, firefighting, but in, in, in Europe, but see, as long as you have reasonable regulations that allow for it, but we still have outbreaks as well. I mean, in Idaho, they've got Mormon cricket outbreaks, you know, that, that, and of course, you know, those locusts were quite common back in the early days of pioneering, which I think if you've not read this book, Food Fear, I think that's documented in that. If I'm not uh, as, we point, as we point out, the idea that things were all just uh, uh, sunshine and, and daisies back in the old days uh, is not the truth. All right, so we don't think it's going to happen here. I don't either. And I want to get somebody on that's a locust expert, one of these entomologists. <laughs> is, uh, I've been hunting that down, and it's really something I want to do. So uh, he's my man, Andrew Moore. He's the CEO of the National Ag Aviation Association. If you're bored and you want to learn more about that, go to agaviation.org. But the takeaways here, 1,560 operators in the United States of America cover 127 million acres of the food. That's just the crop type uh, land. And then they also cover rangeland and forest land for us also. So about a third of the, uh, over a quarter, almost a third of the stuff that you, that you and I eat from is treated by these guys. So uh, it's good information. Yeah. And, you know, just for your, your uh, viewers and listeners, uh, on our website at the very top right, we have a find an aerial applicator section. So if you are a farmer and you're looking for aerial application services, uh, you can just click that and type in your zip code and the nearest aerial applicator uh, will, will pop up there. That's an NAAA number. Yeah, that's, that's a really cool thing because now then that, uh, you know, because there's probably somebody that says, hey, you know, I was going to do that. Don't mostly you just get lighted up through your retailer. You do, right? Uh, no, I mean, that does happen, but there's just a lot of our guys do good marketing in their ag area and they're independent and it's just word of mouth. They'll, they'll know the farmers, they'll hang out with them at the coffee shop in the mornings and, and get to know each other. And, you know, they're, they're good communities. Uh, they're good community supporters. So they'll take ads out in the high school program at the, at the football games, you know, and, and stuff like that and the yearbooks and, and maybe even the paper. So, all right, my uh, my time is up. This has been the business of agriculture, brought to you by Harvest Profit. Again, go check it out, harvestprofit.com. You should also follow them. Here's a great thing about what Nick Horeb, the founder of Harvest Profit, does. He not only cranks out a product that makes your ag enterprise more profitable, better about managing all your monies, your inputs, your outputs, your inventories. He also writes an article and nothing too complex, just some really good thoughtful stuff. But every week he puts out an article that relates back to the industry that we're in. So go to harvestprofit.com and check out his articles as well as you can get a 14 day free trial with the software. Till next time, I'm Damian Mason and I appreciate you being here. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel, Andrew Moore with the National Ag Aviation Association. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Damian. Appreciate it. All right, we'll do it again. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture. If you've enjoyed this episode of the business of agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, or Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com.